So uh, we are preparing for the military to secure our border between Mexico and the United States. We have to start by building a wall. I'm not going to pay for that wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We have catch and release. You catch and then you immediately release. We don't know if they're murderers, if they're killers, if they're MS-13. We're throwing them out by the hundreds. I would gladly work with the president when his ideas aren't stupid and detrimental to the United States. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So this week we saw the sentencing of weird mama's boy Draco Malfoy, that is Alex Vanderswan. Vanderswan is a fancy Dutch lawyer who used to work at a Tony law firm in London. He consorted with Robert Gates and Mueller favorite Paul Manafort, and he knows all about Manafort and his shady dealings, and also his connection to a Russian military intelligence agent. But Vanderswan, who's the son of a Russian oligarch himself, lied to Mueller about that Russia connection, so off he goes to prison for 30 days. Oh, Even though the women in Draco's life said they'd miss his strong, reassuring presence to help with the housework, the Justice Department was unmoved. So into the clink for Vanderswan in the first actual lockup of the Mueller investigation. Today, Manafort's bookie, Trumpcast favorite, the dastardly Oleg Deripaska, known for aluminum, the riches of Midas, and his playful kittenish paid girlfriend, Nastia Ribka, was subject to fearsome U.S. sanctions. And Manafort himself, ooh boy, our fallen hero who once strutted through the former Soviet states like they were Studio 54, is not going to be going hog wild with suits and rugs anytime soon. As listeners will recall, Manafort's lawyers and Trump himself had both moved to dismiss the earlier indictments of Manafort for financial crimes, saying those misdeeds were just juvenilia that belonged to the period before he fatefully signed on with Trump. But a memo released this week by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein shows that the special counsel does have broad authority and reason to investigate not only possible crimes arising out of payments that Manafort received in the bad old days in Ukraine, but also his possible collusion with Russians during the election, basically lest anyone doubt it. And dear listeners, I know you didn't. The FBI back in 2016 had a basis to suspect Russian collusion involving the very highest levels of the Trump campaign. It's almost as if we have a hostile country menacing us with an American president and the people around him as its valets. This battle seems to be of no interest to the president, and instead, he has a head full of a make-believe war involving a non-enemy of the United States, that's Mexico, and invented troops in caravans filled with invented rapists. My guest today is Leon Krause. We're going to talk about Mexico, the Mexican president, and the American president's renewed interest in locking down the border and stirring himself into one of his periodic rabid racist fantasies. I'll be back in a minute with Leon. But first, many of Trump's heads of government agencies like Scott Pruitt really seem to be thinking outside of the box and shattering norms and shattering the agencies themselves. Mick Mulvaney, the acting director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, is no different. Okay, employees of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, welcome to the morning meeting. Good morning, Director Mulvaney. Okay, great. So um, you may have noticed a few changes when you came into the office today. Uh, yeah, yeah, a couple, yeah. Yeah, so we're doing away with chairs. Okay, just where will we sit? No, no sitting. Yeah, sitting's the new smoking. So we're all going to be doing standing desks from now on. Pretty cool. 
I actually, I wanted to ask you about my desk. Um, yeah. Like my computer's not on it. Just... Yes. We removed all the power cords from the computers. So um, go ahead, going back to paper and pen, kind of neat. Director, uh, I, I feel like there have been really dramatic cutbacks around here. Hmm? No, I'm just doing my job. Yeah, I'm the director. So I'm still, uh, still running the agency. Everything's fine. Everything's cool. Hey, um, could you move over just to the left, just a touch? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, we're just knocking down this wall one second. There it goes. Uh, you're knocking down the wall. Now, my, that, that's the outside. Hey, beautiful, right? Get some nice fresh air in here. Today. And then just going to knock down one more. Down she goes. Okay, two you're, walls gone. You're physically knocking down the walls. Hmm? Listen, Director Mulvaney, I, some of us are aware that, you know, you were sort of, you've made some comments in the past that indicate you don't approve of the existence of this agency. Okay, now that's an appropriate question for you. Is that a picture of Elizabeth Warren on your desk? It is, Okay, yes, you I know would. the rules. That's going out the wall. Ooh, there hey, it goes. Oh, ah. That's just, okay. Kind of cool it's like in college when the professor let you have class outside. But no, it's not. I'm kind of the cool guy. (laughs) Oh, so silly. Anyways, we're going to be taking a half day today, so everybody's good to go. We took a half day yesterday. You're only here two days a week. Well, hey, good news. Tomorrow, we're doing a quarter day. A a quarter day? (laughs) Yeah, more time with the fam. You know what? I'm going to make the call now. On Monday... Everybody gets the day off. Director Mo- this is a, a, an organization to protect consumers. Oh, right, right. Uh, we need to protect them. Um, real quick before we get to that, just passing out a memo I wrote about the new vacation policy. Everyone's getting 52 weeks a year. 52 weeks of, that's that's the whole year. That's oh my the all year. gosh, what a fun, cool thing this cool guy did. Oh man, I'm the best. Anyways, high five, I gotta go. Today's sketch was improvised by Steve Waltine and Asher Perlman from Comedy Central's The Opposition with Jordan Klepper. Joining me on the line to talk about Mexico is Leon Krause. He's at Univision. He writes for all the best places. He's everywhere. But most of all, he hosts El Gabfest. That's Gabfest on Espanol for Slate. Welcome, Leon. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. So just a little context for a conversation that I want to have with you about Mexico. On Tuesday, just a few days ago, H.R. McMaster, you know, the outgoing national security advisor, warned against Russia's efforts to encroach on American and other nations' sovereignty. Today, the Department of Justice sanctioned Russian oligarchs. The Russian Federation's incursions on the sovereignty of nations seem clear, But Trump is mum on Russia, and instead he's fighting this other war in his own head, where he's harboring delusions of Mexico violating U.S. sovereignty and women and children of color in caravans who are coming to rape us. What is he talking about? Uh, well, it's uh, it's 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 a mystery. It's a mystery. But as you as you uh, recall. Donald Trump uh, chose Mexico as a villain in his very own nativist tale from the very first moments uh, of his campaign for president. Almost three years ago, it's, it's incredible, but it's, it's almost three years ago, uh, June 16, 2015. And since then, he has not relented for a minute. And I think it's fair to say that uh, the construction of the wall has become his central obsession, perhaps even more so than, than trade, North Korea, or, or whatever other topic uh, you choose. And in the last few days, he has uh, he has uh, spoken uh, about uh, about the border, about immigration, about uh, the presence of, of immigrants in in Mexico, from his usual mix of uh, half truths, 
flat out lies and, and nativist uh, rhetoric. It's uh, it's not surprising, but it's still very sad. Yeah, and and of course, Trump's very vague invocations of rape, um, and then we can move on from his delusions to the actual facts. He's this is an effort to conjure the rape of. American and probably white women that he imagines are happening at the hands of Mexican men, yeah. not the rape of the migrants themselves uh, within Mexico. And so, you know, we dutifully go to try to find some truth or ad- truth adjacent facts when Trump talks like this, and we all scurry around to do it. And at the same time, there are consequences for these women and children and and others in limbo right now at the border who came in this caravan that he maligned what what is what is the situation right now with that population yeah i mean it's, it's safe to say that uh, uh, president trump wasn't talking about the safety of uh, immigrant uh, women and uh, young mothers or or even uh, girls uh, even even young girls uh, uh, in their passage to Mexico uh, as they seek asylum in the United States he was uh, referring as he, as he usually does to that uh, completely delusional idea that, that the immigrant community is full of rapists and criminals uh, that uh, that represent a, a severe threat to the United States uh, well, I mean, let's look at the facts. Uh, um, apprehensions along the, the border have plummeted since the year 2000. I- illegal border crossings are at a historic low. Uh, most people crossing from uh, from Mexico uh, into the United States through the border nowadays are not immigrants from Mexico looking for, for work or anything else, but Central American uh, people are looking for what I think is a, is a legitimate asylum. Again, women and children who are not looking for a better life, like I just said, just just for a life period. I mean, take take this caravan of immigrants that was making its way north in in Mexico and and uh, it, and sent President Trump into this nativist frenzy of his. I mean, we're talking about uh, let's let's say one thousand people. Who are these people who 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 are making their way through Mexico that that that. Uh, that makes the arrival of the National Guard of the United States an urgent matter. We're talking about women and kids. I mean, read the reports from Mexico. 400 women and 300 kids trying to escape from violence, people who, who are simply trying to, to escape an impossible situation. They are traveling in large numbers, which is something that has also bothered President Trump and uh, and, and Fox News and, uh, and our quote-unquote colleagues, because they want to avoid drug cartels and people traffickers and, and, and crime and rape in Mexico. Uh, is this really a threat that warrants sending 4,000 troops to the border? Uh, I mean, just look at the pictures and, and read the stories from American correspondents in Mexico. It's, 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 really, it's really ridiculous. Um, so you are, you have a lot of light to shed on this, the relationship between the Mexican president, Enrique Peña Nieto, and, and President Trump. And also the current situation among the candidates for the Mexican presidency, that election is in in three months. Back up and tell me about Peña Nieto's first meeting with Trump or first. It, yeah. it's, um, it, it really was a before and after for the Peña Nieto administration. I mean, Donald Trump's candidacy, we have to understand first that it presented an unforeseen challenge for Mexico and for the Mexican government. I mean, never before had 
had Mexico face the possibility of uh, such a clear-cut nativist adversary uh, ascending, literally ascending to the American presidency. Uh, and Peña Nieto and his team um, could have dealt, uh, I think, with uh, with then-candidate Trump in many different ways, and, and they chose simply the, the worst one. Uh, they issued Trump an invitation to visit Mexico City. This was August of 2016. They gave him almost a, a full head of state treatment, and they did this when, when Trump's campaign was rather rudderless. I mean, I, 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 I seem to remember he had just fired Paul Manafort. The, the Times upshot uh, model for the election had his chances of winning at around 10%. And nonetheless, they invited him to Mexico. And, and of course, Trump made a mockery of Peña Nieto, who just couldn't bring himself to tell Trump that Mexico would not pay for the wall. And uh, it was it was an enormous mistake because it set the course for the for the relationships uh, power dynamic i mean it uh, it reminds me of uh, of a recent game of of chess i played against my my son i should admit my 10 year old son so it's it's particularly embarrassing i gave up my queen uh, five moves in and and never recovered and that's what happened to peña nieto i mean he began the relationship with trump from a position of weakness from the first second third move and uh, a completely unforced error that has cost him dearly and uh, the relationship has has never really recovered. Maybe until until these past few days, in which Peña Nieto decided to to respond to Trump in in no uncertain terms. Um, I mean, I should say that other world leaders have made the same mistake. I mean, there was there was so much talk in right after the inauguration that other leaders should humor him or temper him, or there might be some way if you you know flattered him appropriately and rolled out the red carpet for him that that would put his nervous system at ease, and then he would turn into a normal person. So I don't think Peña Nieto was alone in thinking that he could be talked to as a human being with no well, cognition. But, but, uh, uh, those, those other heads of state uh, did so after, pres- after, after Trump yes. uh, uh, won, won the election, became president of the United States. And I think that th- th- there were other ways of doing it. I mean, mm. I think of Emmanuel Macron. I mean, Macron began his relationship with, with Trump uh, from a position of strength. You might, you might recall that first meeting um, when, when Macron uh, even symbolically shook Trump's hand and, and, and stood his ground and then had him over in Paris and gave him uh, what, what, Trump's, what Trump really, really likes. I mean, uh, he, he, he was like the most uh, uh, pampered tourist in the history of, uh, the modern history of, of France, and, and it, worked, uh, it worked quite well. Peña Nieto simply, simply, I think, mishandled the situation uh, from the very beginning, and uh, and uh, he has struggled to to maintain a sense of uh, of order in a very difficult situation that that, that has also NAFTA as um, as an important variable, of course, uh, and uh, among among many other things. That that's why I find surprising and refreshing that that, that Peña Nieto uh, finally decided to respond to to Trump in in this this public address uh, the, the the last couple of days. So what? So tell me about the content of that uh, rebuke, that address that that as you say, and is clearly in no uncertain terms uh, reflects a serious change of heart. Well, it was truly unprecedented for a number of reasons. I mean, first, it breaks with what seemed uh, to be a strategy of, of not confronting Trump under any circumstances, at least not in public. Before Thursday, uh, Peña Nieto had taken beating after beating and never offered anything remotely close to the rebuke that we saw on Thursday. Uh, it was also noteworthy uh, for me uh, as, a, as, a, as a journalist who, who has followed the bilateral relationship for a long, long time 
that he broke with an unwritten rule in Mexico, which is uh, that uh, basically as a, as a member of the Mexican government and uh, let alone the Mexican president, you, you shall not talk about uh, American domestic policy in public. And Peña Nieto made an explicit reference to Trump's frustration with, with uh, America's uh, legislative process, and I found that to be unprecedented and, and remarkable. Uh, and maybe one more thing that I should say, uh, he brought all four presidential candidates into the conversation during this uh, this uh, public address, um, offering a, a, what was a, a united front against Trump's rhetoric, uh, and it's extraordinary during a presidential campaign. So it was a historic moment. Uh, it might have come too late for, for Peña Nieto himself, one has to admit, but it should become hopefully a, a before and after kind of moment for as long as, as Trump is, is president. Uh, and, and that could mean the, the full six-year term for the next president of Mexico, um, if, if Trump uh, wins re-election, but at the very least we're talking about uh, two years of, of uh, potential confrontation with the next president of Mexico. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a serious moment, uh, and uh, it took a, a serious rebuke to maybe, maybe uh, take it to the, to the next level, although Trump has decided not to respond, which I found particularly interesting. What, um, can you tell us a little bit about what he actually said? First of all, he said that uh, there's there's nothing about about the, the the dignity and the sovereignty of 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 the Mexican of the Mexican people that Mexico has uh, dealt with the Trump administration in in good faith and will remain uh, in in that position. But at the same time, he he told uh, President Trump directly that if he uh, is frustrated by. Uh, the way uh, negotiations have gone with uh, with Congress, he should uh, direct said frustration towards uh, towards Congress, towards uh, uh, politicians in the United States, and uh, are not against uh, are not against Mexicans. Mm. Um, and uh, he quoted President Kennedy saying that Mexico will not negoc- negotiate from a position of fear. Again, he quoted all four Mexican presidential candidates in alphabetical order, something that I found quite remarkable because, in turn, uh, all four presidential candidates supported the president. This, mind you, during a brief and very tense presidential campaign. So uh, it, it was for me and, and for many other people, even even uh, critics of, of the president, of which I am one, uh, outspoken critics of the president, especially in this particular uh, topic of, of how he has mismanaged the relationship with Donald Trump and the United States, uh, it was it was a remarkable moment. Um, and these other candidates, so th- they they were pleased with that speech, um, and you know, even though they're in competition with each other, there seems to be right now at least an alignment among these five that Mexico will stand with Mexicans and continue to speak against. The American president. Who's the leading candidate there? Is that Obrador? Andres Manuel López Obrador. Yes. And he's what? What is what has he said about Trump? Do you, uh, I mean, do you think that? Well, you know, uh, López Obrador uh, has been has been quite cautious. I interviewed him in uh, early 2017 when Donald Trump had just became had just become president. And uh, I, I went to Mexico to interview him and uh, Margarita Zavala, who is now an independent candidate for, for president, but back then seemed to be the only, the, the other main contender for the presidency from the opposition. And uh, my intention was to, to learn what they both thought of, of Trump as the campaign approached. And I found uh, 
Lopez Obrador to be quite cautious. He, he told me that he planned to convince Trump, to persuade Trump that the way he was dealing with Mexico was not, uh, was not uh, the correct one. Since then, he has, um, he has, he has turned it up a notch. Uh, he, he came to the United States in 2017. Uh, he toured uh, a few cities, uh, Los Angeles, uh, Chicago, I think. He, he, he went to Chicago as well. He then published a book uh, in which he, he gathered uh, his speeches uh, on, on the matter, on Trump. And, uh, but, uh, but, but of late, he has, he has repeated uh, this idea of, uh, of trying to convince Trump that uh, this is not the way to carry out the relationship. He has said that he will be respectful of the United States, but he will ask the same of the United States government. But uh, after Peña Nieto's uh, public address, he was very supportive, very supportive of the president, uh, a man he has fought against uh, for, for a few years. So that in itself is, uh, is noteworthy, the, the fact that López Obrador, as a potential next president of Mexico, has, has so uh, clearly supported his, uh, his, uh, potential, his potential predecessor in, in this particular fight. And the, and the Mexican Senate has actually has been agitating to quit cooperation with the United States, right, on the illegal immigration. On hold, yes. Um, because of this saber rattling about deploying the more than saber rattling about actually planning to deploy military troops, National Guard troops at the border. That's Trump's plan. And the Senate says what? Well, the Senate, the Senate has, has complained, <laughs> has, has uh, called for a stronger response to, uh, to, to President Trump. Uh, that was before Peña Nieto's address. I think that uh, that's uh, what brought the, the, the Mexican president to, uh, to the decision of uh, actually uh, saying what he said uh, on, on Thursday, because, because uh, I think uh, the, the pressure was beginning to mount uh, for, for a more forceful response like the one, like the one we saw. But uh, again, I mean, this, 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 this all comes back to, to Trump, right? I mean, the fact that he chose um, to once again punish Mexico, focus on Mexico, deal with half-truths, with, deal, with, deal with lies, echo the nativist propaganda that one hears uh, on, on Fox News. I mean, uh, fairly recently, Tucker Carlson called Mexico a hostile country, which uh, couldn't be farther from the truth. And the President Trump is just echoing that nativist propaganda that sadly not only he's not the only one who 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 tunes into to, to Fox News and this is something that really worries me in, in particular the, the the effect that this nativist rhetoric not only from Trump but uh, from uh, certain parts of the of the American news media uh, I would say quote unquote news media will have on the the, the perception of what Mexico uh, is has been and and could be and will be for the United States not only Mexico as a country Mexicans over there but crucially Mexicans here I mean there's there's 30 million people of Mexican origin in the United States and uh, and to to have them subjected every single day to this this vile nativist rhetoric is. Uh, is, is really potentially very dangerous, I would even say. One of the more demoralizing um, sort of orders to the president came not from um, Fox News, but I, I don't know if you saw Ann Coulter in a video, yeah, yeah with, with Frank Bruni for the New York Times, beautifully shot, not Fox News-like video, that in the moment was somewhat heartening 
And not because Ann Coulter's policy recommendations were any good, but because she is so let down by the president's failure to implement the wall and get as tough on immigration as he said he would. And she called herself a former Trumper and said Trump really should worry about the people he let down during the election. Now, I foolishly read that as Trump supporters backing away from him, led by Ann Coulter, who was saying, you know, he fucked us, which I've I've seen as a meme among former Trump supporters. And then some people have speculated that his, you know, sudden move to get super tough on this militarization of the border, more invocations of the wall, more condemnations of Mexico, followed from, as usual, you know, a blonde talking head who he'd seen on TV. I think that's the case. I, I think that, uh, that that even you, you could you could make the, the journalistic case that that, that that there's evidence of that, that the Trump responds to what he sees every single day on Fox News, to what he reads on Twitter. He, he responds to the reactions of, of people like uh, like Coulter and uh, Hannity and Hannity and uh, and others like them. And uh, I mean, that, that's that's why I would personally like to see Mexican officials set the record straight and and. Uh, the Peña Nieto response uh, was important, of course, but I would like to see not pundits, not my fellow journalists, uh, government officials set the record straight. And, 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 uh, and again, uh, uh, let me tell you why once again, I mean, my, my concern as, as a Mexican, as an immigrant, as a journalist, but also, quite frankly, as a, as a proud permanent resident and father of two American kids, is, is that Mexico's image among a large segment of America will be irreparably damaged, and not only Mexican in the, uh, Mexico's image, but uh, the image of immigrants, the, the, the image of uh, Central Americans uh, in general. Uh, and uh, it would be dangerous and it would be unfair. So I, I think it's really important to counter the nativist rhetoric that has become uh, Trump's main news diet and the, the source of so, so much misguided information for for so many people. This, this, this really is, in a way, a, a war... Uh, of, of the cultural kind. I mean, uh, and, and it's a, it's a war that, uh, that should be won so that, uh, that, that we, we, we stay on the right side of, of the American identity, N- not the nativist side of the American identity that has been part of this country for, for centuries, even from it, the country's conception almost, but the other side of the American identity that, that, that makes this country not only uh, welcome immigrants, but depend on immigrants uh, like, like it does now. I mean, low-skilled immigration is crucial for a number of industries, uh, a surprising number of industries. If tomorrow low-skilled immigrants disappear from the country, this country would really, really suffer. And the only way to make that clear is to, to counter the nativist rhetoric with facts and with also also with with storytelling, Virginia. I mean, American media should really tell not not Univision. Uh, we we do it every single day in Spanish. American media should tell the stories of of the immigrant experience of the Hispanic immigrant experiences in this country, like it did with uh, with with people who were suffering, for example, during the travel ban. That's that's how the travel ban uh, finally failed because American the American public realized. The social costs of, of 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 the travel ban. We should we should be doing the same with the with the, with the immigrant experience in this country. Thank you so much for being here, Leon. You're you're absolutely my favorite bilingual journalist, and thanks very much for coming and clarifying all these issues. It's 
an absolute honor to be to be a part of the of the Slate Podcast family, like <laughs> we are with El Gatis in Español. That's right, we're siblings. Can listen to every single week, I should say. I should plug it, <laughs> and uh, and it's uh, it's been a pleasure having this conversation with you and your listeners. Thanks again. Thank you very much. That's it for today's show. But before we go, go to at RealTarmCast on Twitter and look at the pinned tweet there because that's got the link for you to vote for TrumpCast for a Webby Award. Don't let those other bro-driven political podcasts win the award. Win it for TrumpCast. We really want your vote. TrumpCast is produced by Jason DeLeon. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to TrumpCast. TrumpCast.